0: Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's all good.
0: That sounds okay. Yeah. Yep. No, I've been listening. I don't like the sound of my voice on the podcast sometimes. Do you sound too posh? Um, no, no, it's not. It's not my accent because my accent, like, I can hear myself dropping T's and, mm. and doing things like that as I got more kind of relaxed about it. It's just a, you know, sometimes when I get my, my voice goes up in octaves when I'm uh, kind of uh, trying to stress a point.
1: But you shriek like a hysterical um, woman? You mean?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to get elocution lessons. Yeah, <laughs> like Thatcher. Yeah. But then I'm going to go too far. And start getting lessons from uh, the Society of Thule, like Hitler, (laughs) um, about the proper gestures. Oh, yeah. You've seen those black and white photos, right? So I'm just going to be gesturing. It's going to look really good on a podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll get one of the, um, I'll get a GoPro. Yeah. (laughs) The
0: first ever video podcast.
1: There's lots of them.
0: I know. Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, episode 23, a eternal... i fucked that up so many times already. Yep. Um, this is the eternal, now the eternal Lib Dem podcast. We're going to yep. um, talk about the Lib Dems, have political discussion that may just sound like equivocating and fencing. <laughs> um, I'm Adam, and this is you. Hello. And we're going to talk about this week's
1: news. Yep. First off... From Hard Lib Dem perspective. uh, My new name is Tristram Butterworth,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and my granddad bought me my first uh, party membership. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so first off this week, we're going to talk about the Lib Dems because we are the premier Lib Dem Mm. uh, discussion political political discussion podcast. Um, And this week we've had. Or when, I can't remember actually when it happened, but we had Vince oh, Cable elected as Lib Dem leader.
1: I can't even pretend to be a Lib Dem. It's like I, I I can't even remember when it was. It it might have been last week. It might have been the week before. He might have always been leader. I mean, he in, lies in, dead but dreaming. In one as sense, leader of the Liberal he Democrats. Has,
0: he has always been leader. Yeah, yeah. Someone like him has always been leader.
1: Yeah, it's always a kind of fusty older man. It was I mean, great. It I was scrolling down. Says the news. he's nice. Everyone says they're nice, but they've got a really shady past, whether it be from. Working in the stock market like him or like Paddy Ashdown, they literally caked in blood.
0: So, yeah, I was scrolling through the news and mm. um, they had kind of like the, the item kind of four four strokes down. I don't know yeah. how, you, how you kids say it, but four strokes down It's like Lib Dem, uh, Vince Cable elected as Lib Dem leader unopposed. Just it's after cat like, loves perfect. to sing
1: national anthem. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think there was an animal story. It might have been that Sri Lankan elephant who they found out in the middle of the... Uh, in the oh, ocean and was like swimming. It was swimming and it kind of got stuck. <laughs> um, very much like the Lib Dems. Yeah, well... Because they've got their trunk up, they're trying to find a current, but they're just too far out and they're getting dragged further out and further out.
1: Well, they're deliberately swimming further out. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've got... What's it? Activate... Mm. That's one of the things I saw online. I the think they've, um, they've had a the Tories have got Mogmentum, where you saw the picture of that man who'd had Mogmentum oh, tattooed on his chest God. because of how much he loves Jacob Rees Mog. Mogmentum is the conservative movement that's like Momentum in the same way that cargo cults are like helipads. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so this this dickhead Tory got Mogmentum tattooed on himself, even though I'm pretty certain Jacob Rees mogg would probably not allow someone with a tattoo onto his land,
0: <laughs> well, not unless they're working for him, yeah mm. um yeah he's he got elected and they're there I know that their um their young young Lib dem's conference was called activate, and somebody set up a Facebook group to try and make the Lib dem version of momentum
1: and I saw the picture of it and inertia presumably <laughs> the picture of it was. Of all of the well, all of the founding members, and actually, they looked like a bunch of people on an allotment.
0: <laughs> I've nothing against allotments. I, I have nothing. No, that's not true. I was about to say I, I, like nothing I, just, Dems,
1: but, I have nothing against <laughs> young Lib Dems.
0: I've a lot because they can learn. But,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've got nothing against allotments. But they got that look about them, like a bunch of people unified by a really archaic view of the world <laughs> <laughs> and root
0: vegetables. Yeah. Which are eternally young,
1: <laughs> but yeah, they don't—they don't look young. These people. Oh, okay. So they then, look old.
0: They're like the young Lib Dems, except they're all in their sixties. Yeah, rather than in their eighties. Yeah. And comfortable.
1: Mm. Mm. They all look so comfortable. Yeah. There's mm. a lot of people who have a lot of cardigans. Uh, again, buttons on the front of their jumpers.
0: Again, it's not the cardigan itself. Yes, it is. It's I what hate the cardigans. Cardigans. cardigans are disgusting. Should try one, mate.
1: No, why would I buy? Why would I I, I have,
0: have one cardigan. It? I know it's you like do. It's like the most comfortable thing it I have. It has got me. a zip as well. Oh, but not oh. All buttons. So, What's like, wrong I'm one you? step removed. I'm fucking in my thirties now, mate. It yeah. can't always be hoodies and
1: uh, high tops. You well, no, you don't have to wear high tops. But you, do, you don't have to don't wear a cardigan. Cardigans are stupid. <laughs> they are stupid. When did you buy your cardigan? Right,
0: you get little patterns. Oh. I actually don't remember at all. I don't even remember where I got it probably turn. Primark because that's where I get everything back. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the media's trying to do their same thing again as if the election didn't happen um, there was an article in I think the Guardian um, Vince Cable is the man to scare Jeremy Corbyn into supporting a second referendum if the seven, several million passionately pro-EU young voters who rode to Corbyn's rescue tire of the tightrope walking they will find Vince's Lib Dems waiting with open arms Again, the assumptions that <laughs> everybody voted for Corbyn on the grounds that they hated the Tories. Yeah. And also that somehow what Corbyn was offering young people was the EU,
1: which yeah, even though they keep on saying that wasn't. he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure all those young people they can't remember the fact that Vince Cable is the reason why they're in so much debt. <laughs> it's literally him. The, it's just the, the a, former such business. A it's like stop It's or... like, oh, young people seem to really hate Tories. You know who I really like: the former business secretary yeah. of the Tory government, <laughs> <laughs> the man who predicted the, um, the predicted the financial crisis, the man who's a staunch Keynesian, but then enacted policies that he knew full well would just make everybody worse off. Yep, that's my thing with him. Yeah, that. Okay, George Osborne. Yeah. He's you know, a simpleton.
0: You know what he's going
1: for, though. Yeah, but yeah. even I, I'd, I'd even say like if I was being really nice about him, he's stupid, and thought that what he was going to do was going to work. I Realistic. think he's a stupid,
0: selfish gadabout. He doesn't really care, but also he never gives off any any aura that he cares. Yeah, like you know who but he is.
1: Vince Cable knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, was wrong. Yeah, and did it. Mm. Oh, he's disgusting. <laughs> um like all Lib Dems. Scumbags. And whoever... The, the kind of people that voted for the Lib Dems in 2010. Yeah. Stupid people, yeah. aren't they, Adam?
0: they are so stupid. I hate them so much.
1: Is that why you have a I cardigan? Is that like part of your penance? <laughs> yeah. You wear a cardigan so everyone knows.
0: Well, when I signed the contract... <laughs>
1: you signed the contract. <laughs> ...told
0: me that if I voted Lib Dem You have to wear a cardigan for the rest of your life I have or to a dunce's hat for I have to have at least one cardigan <laughs> at all times. And a pair of slacks of chinos <laughs> skin crawl <laughs> and some slip in leather slip-on leather shoes that Ooh. I don't wear with socks
1: oh. <laughs> um
0: this this whole like uh, they, they were kind of celebrate they're generally I'm not gonna read it out obviously but they're generally celebrating kind of ah Vince cable now we can get back to back to normal that's I mean that's yeah. that's always been with everybody with George Osborne attacking the Tory government in the evening standard mm. or um, one of the uh, like um, Keir Kier Hardy you know doing his Centrist thing, or any of them. Kierhardi, uh, Kierhardi, um, Kierstarma. Kier- sorry, yeah. Kierhardi, doing his centrist. Oh, I hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like celebrating this back to normal. And mm. then uh, the other day, cable told journalists that Britain's Brexit vote was primarily driven by elderly voters worried about Turks coming to their village and people outside first tier cities.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: It turns out
1: when you don't believe in anything, <laughs> anything, you can technically believe anything. Yeah there Was, um, wasn't there that poll that came out today or yesterday that um mm. most uh, most um brexit voters over the age of sixty five um really couldn't give less of a fuck if half their family were out of work because of brexit yeah and it it's like oh that's unsurprising that people who aren 't in work couldn't give less of a shit about jobs
0: something weird about the dynamics of the people who the the, the kind of work lives and economics of the people who voted brexit who generally have a class profile of, they're kind of middle class, um, lower middle class um, people who are either employed in um, kind of like manager positions Mm. or they're self-employed like um, tradesmen, plumbers, things like that. And chances are that their children probably aren't going to be all right, but they seem fine with that.
1: Yeah, because they're going to give less of a fuck about anyone but themselves because they're boomers. That's what it comes back down to. (laughs) <laughs> it's like that momentum advert that a load of people a load of boomers specifically got really upset with
0: because it was an anti-boomer advert <laughs> yeah it was an
1: accurate advert portraying how boomers couldn't give less of a fuck mm. and are stupid yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's the Lib Dems doing their Lib Dems. that's the Lib
0: Dems doing that's pretty much it for uh, yeah. for British politics this week we're going to pivot yes. away a little bit but we're going to do Kevin Myers
1: the gift that keeps on giving well he's technically British I'll be honest according I... to Dan Hannon like <laughs> the, the, he wants oh, Ireland to to be back to being under British rule.
0: Oh yeah, Dan Hannon said that. Yeah, that there was one. There should. Why can't there just be one single British Isles Custom Union? And somebody <laughs> pointed out, you don't get to make decisions for the Republic of Ireland.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not anymore. No, Ireland actually doesn't exist for the for for Dan Hannon. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say most of the country really specifically doesn't like that man. No, no. If they if they even know about him. Oh yeah, but, just, like yeah anyone who spends more than 5 minutes seeing handsome dan hannon on tv <laughs> wants him gone mm. i think that's going to be one of the worst things about brexit so many of these obnoxious MEPs are coming back
0: Well, the hard right it's the hard rights coming yeah. back and those, those... Yeah, but they'll be in this country all the time the thing Rather is than because we
1: can't ship them back to strasbourg
0: <laughs> because yeah because nobody's got a um, a proper kind of view on things they're just looking for somebody who appears confident and you've mm. got all of these hard right MEPs who've largely been forgotten because when he was an MEP, he has been forgotten. Mm. He's been ta- overtaken by Farage mm. in kind of the prominence stakes. Definitely. And yeah, they've just forgotten about him. And he appears occasionally on US TV and things like that and in order to literally just boost his profile. Mm.
1: Okay, so Kevin Myers, though.
0: Um, Kevin Myers, uh, he Good. was an Irish journalist. Um, All the Times? He, he wrote a column for the Irish edition of the Sunday Times. Um, He was commenting on the BBC's um, pay salary, like the publication of their salary list. Um, And he said, and I quote, I note that two of the best paid women presenters in the BBC, Claudia Winkleman and Vanessa Feltz, with whose no doubt sterling work I am tragically unacquainted, oh, Mm -hmm. I hate that way of writing, are Jewish. Good for them. Myers continued... Jews are not generally noted for their insistence on selling their talent for the lowest possible price, which is the most useful measure there is of inveterate lost-with-all-hands stupidity. There's too many words in that, and too many of them anti-Semitic. I wonder, who are their agents? If they're the same ones that negotiate the pay for the women on the lower scales, then maybe the latter have found their true value in the marketplace. He crammed so much. He got so much out of so little.
1: Yeah. So he's out of the now, isn't he?
0: Well, they're not going to employ him anymore. No, um, I presume he wrote. I know he wrote for the Irish Independent um, and a couple of other publications. Mm. But he'll find a home because mm. he's exactly that same kind of um, journalist who makes kind of he he has he has form on this.
1: Yeah, well, he did that thing um, about Africa's only given us so, HIV.
0: So he wrote about Africa. Um, actually, he wrote a bit. He wrote about the Holocaust. Was the one that everyone was sharing saying, there was no Holocaust, or Holocaust with a capital H, as my computer software insists, and 6 I've got a fucking word count, mate. Um, and six million Jews were not murdered by the Third Reich. These two statements of mine are irrefutable tr- uh, truths.
1: <laughs>
0: so, reading the whole article, mm. he's doing that thing where he puts something out there and says, I'm not saying this, but, but say if this. I did say this, hmm. then it would be very, very anti-Semitic and a crime in the EU. He was yeah. trying to make a point about the fact that ho- uh, questioning the Holocaust is a crime in, uh, in a lot Some of European countries, yeah. countries, in Germany and in the EU generally. Um, but he kind of, like he keeps going into really, really specific detail about the details of the Holocaust. Like, As it happens, the figure 6 million was originally a round estimate of the total numbers of concentration camp victims. This was then turned by popular perception, aided by activists such as the Simon Wiesenthal Centre, into the Jewish death toll. However, there is not a scientific or documentary basis for this number. Its enduring appeal, the digit 6, with the six zeros that follow it, depends on a fairly basic human predilection for numerological magic. It is very likely a subconsciously appealing version of the diabolical 666.
1: The Holocaust didn't happen and humans are stupid and tricked by magic. (laughs) it <laughs> sounds pretty great I saw the um, I said um Dad Hodges was defending him mm. because you know it's that beautiful weather vane which way is Dad Hodges turning today <laughs> ah he says this is an anti-semitic well it must be super anti-semitic then <laughs> I saw, um, the Jewish representative council of Ireland was saying that he's not a holocaust denier despite their obviously denying the holocaust well because he's a very
0: stringent he's a very stringent I, I wouldn't say he's a stringent supporter of Israel he's is a very stringent critic of anti-semitism within the pro-Palestinian left <laughs> yeah Interesting how that works. What's
1: his his apology? Because you were telling me about his apology. Oh,
0: God, his apology. Um, Because that was delicious. Let me just get it up here. Um... Uh, his apology, he said on RTE Radio on Tuesday, my Jewish audience will understand that I am a great admirer of the Jewish people. I think they are the most gifted people who have ever existed on this planet, and civilization owes an enormous debt to them. One of the great qualities about them is their sense of dignity and self-worth. The only way that can be expressed in the world of celebrity is getting the right financial package. You don't know how long celebrity is going to last. Thus reiterating the point that he got (laughs) fucking criticized before. You see... I'm not saying that Jews are somehow special. I'm just saying, when it comes to money, they're like <laughs> magical pixie beings. I just, I just... Who just seem to sniff out the right
1: deal. <laughs> just insane. Just like, how dare you accuse me of being anti-Semitic just because I'm referring to specific traits that only Jews have and separate them out from the rest of society. Mark <laughs> them out. His
0: usual thing, like a lot of them, is to use... I'm just using a metaphor. He says that the... Um, the Holocaust, the the traditional kind of symbols and and analysis of the Holocaust, uh, death camps, ovens, six million, all those things. He says they're just a metaphor. I don't believe that there were actually ovens. I just believe they were all shot. And it's like, okay, you are edging around literally the areas that Holocaust deniers typically focus on to say that the Holocaust didn't happen. Yeah. Also, it's that
1: thing that always really bores me. It's like, you know, other things have happened. Okay, the Holocaust was horrific, and it's one of the mm. blackest moments in in history. Yeah. Other things have happened for you to focus on all the time. Mm. And, like, and it's Holocaust deniers that are the ones who just seem to... It's like, it's all they care about.
0: Well, yeah, because it's their... It's, it's the, it, Holocaust deniers, when they come from the right, tend to think that um, Jewish people use uh, that like the the evil jewish conspiracy uses mm. the holocaust to like advance its race mixing goals or race defining goals whatever you know mm. their yeah. goals yeah they have a long distant uh, enemy and there's one event that's really associated with th- who this racial group who they regard as their enemy and that's why they focus on
1: it so much yeah, he's an anti-semite, and he's a racist. He's just he a, is like, a racist. You were talking
0: talks- earlier about the anti-black racism yeah. the the uh, uh, Ethiopia He was actually a journalist in Ethiopia during the famine. Also, oh, he knows, in, uh, the he, knows, he, knows he knows he
1: knows all about black people though because he was there looking at them.
0: Um, he did describe. He uh, where is it? He said. Even as we see African states refusing... This was in 2008, by the way. Even as we see African states refusing to take action to restore something resembling civilization in Zimbabwe, the begging bowl for Ethiopia is being passed around to us yet again. It's nearly 25 years since Ethiopia's and Bob Geldos' famous Feed the World campaign, and in that time, Ethiopia's population has grown from 33.5 million to 78 million. Why on earth should I do anything to encourage further catastrophic demographic growth in that country? Where is the logic? There is none. Sorry, my conscience has toured this territory on foot. And financially. Unlike most of you, I have been to Ethiopia. Like most of you, I have stumped up the loots of charities to stop starvation there. The wide eyed boy child we saved twenty years ago is now a pre epic Kalashnikov bearing hearty, siring children whenever the whim takes him.
1: And that's why he spends all of his money chemically castrating Ethiopian men. <laughs> And before being his he's on women.
0: And basically he wrote an entire article about how the only thing that Africa has given the world is AIDS. And that therefore
1: we shouldn't give any more aid money to Africa. I see. <sighs> he's a proper charmer. Um, and uh, the thing is as well, this is the thing that a lot of people have been talking about mm-hmm. online. Um, is So he wrote that anti-submitted article for The Times. Mm-hmm. And that would have had to go through at least three editors. Yes. Who yeah. all said yes to it. Yes. They're all guilty. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Stig Abel is guilty because of that article that he let Kay um, Hopkins do, calling migrants cockroaches. Yeah. And they're not getting the abuse that they should be, which is the the abuse that the left gets whenever some idiot on Twitter starts saying stuff. Starts using stupid.
0: the word Jews instead of Israel. Like, yeah. um Ken, I don't know if Ken, I can't remember whether Ken has actually done that, but Ken has been guilty of some fucking sloppy, like uh, uh, at best, sloppy thinking. Yeah. Like, sloppy. um, It's
1: like, but every, like, even like the worst stuff that Ken Livingston did, he didn't have three people give him the nod beforehand who were more senior than him in the Labour Party. Yeah. And that's the problem. He didn't actually get paid
0: for an article on it. It's usually in interviews that he's given or on the street. Yeah. And he's been dumb. Yeah. But he's been. You know, suspended from the Labour Party. It's a
1: single person doing a thing rather has than an organisation se- that is doing this.
0: Yeah, this won't be taken as indicative of an unacceptable anti Semitic current mm. within the Times newspaper.
1: Mm.
0: And that's the thing. Mm. That I, I, I'm pretty sure most of them aren't, they have no um, large construct around their anti Semitism other than when it comes to Israel and telling Jewish people how they should be thinking mm. about Israel. Um, that is a, a definite thing I think that they almost all of them share yes however um, I don't even think this is necessarily about anti-semitism as you can see he's done a lot of different he's gone in a lot of different directions with his ability to try and grab eyes and that's what the editors are doing mm. they're not saying ah this advances our goals towards anti-semitism they're hedging their bets and saying oh is this going to get us in trouble yeah but how many eyeballs is it going to get on it
1: yeah and try to don't, don't, it's some. Um... What's it? The it, yeah, it's a drill tweet of turning yeah. a big dial,
0: turning the big dial of racism up to ten
1: <laughs> while looking over your shoulder at the audience. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, that's what they all do. And
0: this this guy is like he's not special. No, he's not unique. Even there's there's so many. I think Katie Hopkins, Little John, Rod Liddell is a particular favourite stroke hatred of mine. <laughs> um, they all have it. They're part of that kind of hack class that's grown up. They can sometimes come from the left, they sometimes come from celebrity, they sometimes weirdly enough, I think it's rare that those kind of hacks come from the very far right. I might be wrong there we but don't I think have many number...
1: hacks here on the very very far right no like, but I mean I
0: mean you I mean not the very far right, but like you think about like um what's his name Peter O'Bourne. Mm. or um what's uh, Hitchens Peter Hitchens, mm. and they're solid right wing conservatives yeah, but they don't. Go in this direction that often they don't try and push it as far as they they can do. The other the people who do that tend to come from the centre and like our former liberals or, yeah. or left wingers like Rod, Rod Liddle. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're just that. They, it's so fucking shallow, mm. and you know that there's a very significant part of them that doesn't believe it. Yeah. But they, I don't think he's an actual Holocaust denier. But there's, it's just that kind of like having outrageous opinions about. Somebody's well, yeah, suffering, not... or somebody's cruel, like yeah. how how cruel they can be. Look how look how how cruel my hard truths are. You know yeah. what I
1: mean? Well, you know, and he does seem to think that Jews are magic, yes, yeah. <laughs> maybe if you catch one, you you can keep it in the corner of the room and it will get money for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he's a bit of a weird one. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. What's next?
0: Um, what have we got next? Uh, next, we were going to talk about Venezuela.
1: Ah, yeah, because I didn't want to talk about. I don't want because the stuff that's been going on in Venezuela has been going on for a while now.
0: Yes, it's been going.
1: But on, we didn't but... really want to talk about it on the podcast because in in general, I was hoping not to jinx it. I was hoping it would go the same way as every other attempted coup yeah. of the uh, attempted attempt to stop the Bolivarian experiment.
0: Yeah, Bolivarian every, revolution. Yeah, yeah.
1: Every time that that America has funded opposition to try and get rid of it. It's failed massively. Yeah, but this has like been going on pretty much solidly now since Chavez died. I mean, when when Chavez died, obviously you had this big gap
0: in leadership. He was such a, a big um, popular figure. Mm. Um, Maduro's not the same kind of person. He seems to be genuine in trying to support the the revolution and. It's a kind of weird thing. Like when I was researching, when I was kind of researching exactly what had gone on, there are so many op-eds. Like it is difficult to find any media coverage of this that's sympathetic to the government in Venezuela.
1: Oh yeah, there was a... or
0: even trying to treat it down the middle. It is no. fucking impossible, there and was... that always sets off warning bells.
1: There was a there was a headline I saw um, describing talking about the police overreacting to. Um, the protesters' improvised explosive device that they'd set off on a, like, um it was like a motorcycle convoy of coppers yeah. that they'd set off an IED and yeah. killed a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, you know, just like normal protesters do. Yeah. They set off explosives all the time. It's, um... Normal protesters, like those, um those
0: military uh, those ex-military people in balaclavas and uh, fatigues who stopped, <laughs> who commandeered a police helicopter and dropped a grenade into the supreme court yeah you know
1: normal honest just protester things just normal pro-democracy protesters uh, yeah. definitely not at all hardline right-wing capitalists yeah. who are being gi- who've been given tens of millions of pounds well dollars yeah by america over the last couple of years um, but yeah, it was. It this all came to a head because they were having the constituent election. What so, it? like, okay, so the the background to it
0: again, not this isn't necessarily my field, but I'm going to try and explain it the best I can. So they have the National Assembly, which is their version of the Parliament. Mm. Um, Chavez and Chavistas have completely dominated the National Assembly. Um, well, they've won majorities mm. um, ever since um, Chavez was elected in '99. Mm. Um, in January this year. Uh, last year, sorry, um, the opposition won more uh, representatives in the National Assembly than they ever done, had ever done before. And mm. immediately, when they when they hung when they were around, they didn't actually hang around to celebrate their victory. All the leaders flew to the U.S. to ask for intervention <laughs> immediately. So um, Chavistas still have uh, control of a lot of the other parts of the government. Um, police generally, army generally tends to be fairly loyal, which is well, yeah, obviously a Chavez good... Chavez used to be in the military as well. Chavez was a paratrooper uh, in the military, and uh, generally they've been aligned with those goals. Um, so uh, the Supreme Court in Venezuela um voted to dissolve the national assembly yeah which was would strip the diploma uh, strip the Im- uh, legal immunity from its representatives most of whom are in the opposition only just though not not a significant amount their coalition hmm. just about has enough mps for a majority i'm saying mps is shorthand for yeah. whatever it is yeah um so the supreme court dissolved um the national assembly and uh, uh, maduro has elected an as offered free and open elections for a new body called the Constituency Assembly. This is allowed by the Venezuelan constitution. It's, it's legal. It yeah. is legal and it is democratic. Obviously, Venezuela is in a well-difficult position at the moment. Um, they've got a huge economic crisis that's going on. Um, they're really, really dependent on oil. About 95% yeah. of their export revenues come from oil. And the price of oil, I think, is about... Oh, what was I say? The price of crude oil... Is about seventy percent lower than it was two years ago. Mm. These are due to geopolitical factors, but there is a conspiracy—I wouldn't say conspiracy theory, but a fairly strong theory—that the U.S. are leaning on Saudi Arabia to overproduce, thus mm. keeping the um, price That's, of oil low, yeah. which hurts people like Iran, hurts people, hurt did hurt people like Syria, mm. and uh, and hurts Venezuela. Um, there's a, been a huge plunge in GDP. Food and medicine is very difficult to get hold of because you can, uh, the rich can still afford it because they buy all of it in dollars, but the, the
1: currency's been devalued. Well, I also saw one of the other reasons why food is is pretty scarce in Caracas. Yeah, and that's because the, you know, just normal normal protesters are setting fire to convoys of food.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that look, Maduro's not been perfect. He's put. He's done things like putting the military... But even previous to this economic crisis, he put the military in control of um, various aspects of food distribution. Mm. Um, It's He still has... I think the biggest mistake they've probably made is they've tried to run it like it's still running as a capitalist economy. Mm. There are still country clubs. There are still skyscrapers, luxury hotels, champagne, and billionaires. In this horrific uh, communist autocracy, Mm. there are still... Billionaires. Yeah. It's mad. Um, And so they've been pushing. A lot of the leaders of the opposition are billionaires. There's a few like, um, what's his name? Um, So there's Enrique Caprias. He has major, his upper class family owns major stakes in newspapers, cinemas, and other businesses uh Leopoldo Lopez comes from one of the most prominent and wealthiest families in Venezuela. Julian Borges, uh, lawyer, Oxford educated with a degree in public policy. <laughs> Sounds very similar, doesn't it? Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of kind of things to, happening to undermine the Bolivarian Revolution and it it's worth pointing out that it genuinely has done some incredible things.
1: Well, there's um there was there are more doctors trained and like qualifying every month now. Than there were in total when Chavez was when Chavez oh, came hell. to power. That Holy was one hell. of the big things, and it's think one of the things that people barely talk about is like Cuba as well does this. Mm. Cuba's Cuba's medicine, um, their whole health service is fantastic. Yes, um, one of the big things they just did is they've managed to develop a technique to make sure that a that HIV doesn't get tra- doesn't get transferred from pregnant mothers to their children. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. There's, they've got loads. They've got a cup. Um, they've come up with quite a few vaccines for different types of cancer.
2: Yeah,
1: all yeah. while suffering some of the worst trade embargoes. Yeah, that the world has ever seen. Yeah, um, and they're able. They're able to do this because it's socialism and it works. Yeah, and it would work even better if they weren't being picked on. Yeah. Although you know, I'd take rid of all those billionaires for a fucking stuff. Well, that's
0: part of that's part of the problem. Let a billionaire that,
1: that, keep his fancy house, and he's going to want two fancy houses. With all, with all send him to fucking live in America.
0: With all of these reductions in um, living standards, the wealthy aren't affected because mm. they buy all their stuff, they import all their stuff in, uh, using
1: dollars. Yeah,
0: um, they are not affected as much as the ordinary Venezuelan. I could understand people kind of getting annoyed about that, but it seems a significant part of the organizing principle of the protests is designed to make it seem that the government is untenable.
1: Yeah. Well, also, and overturn it. Like basically by democratic means. That election though, um mm-hmm. they did a couple of things that I liked. Like um you weren't allowed to stand for for election if you were in the military, in the yeah. court, in um in the um part of the like if you were a judge or anything like that. Uh, what's the other one? There was something someone, some other group that went. Have... Yeah. Basically, all the, um, all the people they made making it as democratic as possible and set it up like little communes. Essentially, weren't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, they did set up a number of different kind of collective, uh, collective and cooperative farms mm. and communal businesses and things like that. They set up um, communal supermarkets where mm. everyone could go and get stuff. Of course, because of the embargo and because they, their ability to import goods has kind of collapsed. Mm all of the the shops are now empty, mm. which is you know they're trying to make the economy scream, to quote Nixon uh.
1: um,
0: it's one of it's it's one of those awkward things where it's like you're you're looking at and, you, and all the time I was reading this was like am i am I wrong like because I support the principle of the of the the things that Chavez has been doing in chavismo generally, mm. and it's like, am I wrong? did like Maduro come in and he's like much worse he's just like every single kind of Effort to understand Venezuela seems to be you being shouted at saying, So you support a bloodthirsty dictator, do you? Yeah, and it's like, How dare you? All oh, the blood is on your hat. And, and it's like, You don't talk like this no. unless you're directed by the media that you've read. Because yeah. that, I mean, every everybody, there's not one. Mm. I mean, maybe the Morning Star. I don't even know the Morning Star's line on Venezuela because yeah. I know I the SWP be. are quite bad about it. I that's, the morning not the, stars, that's no, that's they, not the morning star. They've got but, no connection with them. No, no, no. I know their, they haven't got any connection, but you never know how these papers are going to come down. The, they, these these different early. left wing groups are going to yeah. come down. I, I genuinely, I don't have the time to go no. through every lefty's website, and no. decide what their, the and,
1: very expensive. and
0: decide what their line is. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I, I was immediately suspicious when it's like every like I kind of was with Assad yeah. as well. Although I feel much more comfortable supporting Maduro than I do. Oh, gotcha. sad, you know yes, but yeah, you see this same kind of thing. It's like, well there's a lot of people there's a lot of people at this protest with one particular color, mm. very coordinated. oh, they're holding a pop concert in the central square. <laughs> oh God, here we go. Here's another coup. <laughs> well yeah that's the, it's become such an obvious pattern by now.
1: yeah, that's the main thing is the, the way the media is talking about it now is getting everyone ready to support a coup, and yeah. then and then we watch Theresa May essentially. Role playing as Margaret Thatcher supporting Pinochet. <laughs> yeah, that's what I. That's why I'm afraid is going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's just it's weird because having paid attention to all the protests of the Arab Spring, and it's like I say, I'm not going to go full and say it, they're all like paid CIA operatives, but I definitely think <laughs> there's an organising principle there when every single one is the same. When there's a load of articles that come out about how the protesters all use like. Uh, Blackberry Messenger or something, mm. or WhatsApp, and the changing face of protest, putting in, shoving in some of that tech, IT fetishism into it yeah. as well. I get very, sus- like, very suspicious. It's like this is, at the very least, being reported exactly the same way every time. Yeah, with it's the, exactly same the same narrative,
1: as, it's, it feels exactly the same as just before Libya.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: They're in the streets
0: fighting for their freedom hmm. with all of these mortars. Yeah, that they got bought.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you see um, when there were those there were protesting, not riots really, but um, last weekend in Hackney when they were throwing bottles and stuff at the police. Yeah, that's what normal people do—they throw what's at hand at the police, and what's at hand is not normally a helicopter and grenades. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean this, uh, this, this,
1: and being interviewed it's... on American News.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing—it's they've. Because one of the main ring is a
1: film star as well, isn't he? He's yeah, he is a, he, I think star. he was a
0: former, I think he was a former action movie star and pop star in Venezuela. exactly <laughs> And yeah, it's it's one of those things as well. Like, how come Black Lives Matter was not reported on like this <laughs> hmm. when people were in the streets fighting for their well, freedom? Well, murderers. Fr- fighting for their freedom, not but to racist be motorists. not to be not to be shot down by the police when they hadn't done anything. But
1: they're racist murderers like Maduro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I tell you what has increased in Venezuela and the reports are fucking horrible. Mob lynchings.
1: Yeah, of indigenous people. Of
0: suspected thieves. Mm. I've got that in quote marks. Mm. And yeah, turns out they're all a certain shade of skin colour. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, that's Venezuela. Yeah. Um, I mean, all stuff will be happening over the next...
0: Also, yeah, (laughs) compare with Brazil who have actually just had a legislative coup and have just put 8,500 troops on the streets of Rio. Yeah. I couldn't find. I could find three articles about it. Of
1: course, and it's and like um, the EU is condemning um, Venezuela. Yeah, it's like for for um, was it for hampering democracy and shit like that? It's yeah. like really now, Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah, really Hungary. It's Poland. Which, yeah, which which one is it with the with the president with his list of prominent Jews that he that he amassed? Just in that case? was
0: Orbán in Hungary. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I just love that. I just love the balls of it. It's like, why have you got this list of Jews? In case. In case of what? I think he just walks out of the room.
0: He just comes up very close to you and says, In case. <laughs>
1: well, they're they are good. magic. I read it in the Irish Times.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll find a way. They'll, they'll get paid what they're worth. They're so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, um, moving on uh, to something a little more domestic. Uh, you've got. Some... Oh, it's trains. Train, the news. train
1: stuff. Because, um, what's his name? Grayling has mm. cancelled. Three specific electrification projects. And weirdly enough, the British media has focused on two of them, which is the two electrification projects in England, and (laughs) not really on the one in Wales. But that's fine. That's just, you know, that's how they do. Um, But the money that was going into this, uh, going to be going into electrifying a train line north of Kettering. Yeah. um, The train line from to the west of Cardiff. Yeah. And then the other one was... Between places that I refuse to believe exist, um, Windermere and Oxenholm. Okay. These these don't exist. Oxenholm. Surely. It
0: sounds it sounds like an and then the, the lake, lake Windermere is that Lake District. No, it sounds believable, but you know, it's the train across the lake. Train goes into the lake.
1: <laughs> I don't know, but that's
0: um, so why you don't want electricity in a lake, mate. So
1: they were going to electrify them because electrifying trains is good. Mm-hmm. It's they're more efficient. They break down less. Yeah. All the good things yeah, that modernised trains have. Yeah. Um, but the money that was going into that is now going into HS2. One of the people that was in charge of the electrification project... More money into HS2. Yeah, it needs more money. Um, co-
0: is it costing like £90 dollars. something?
1: Something happened, and when there was like a free of information request to yeah. the HS2 people asking, so why is it costing this much money? And they got the forms explaining it, and most of it was redacted. Because that's how free trade works.
0: I felt I I have long really not been on the positive side of HS2.
1: We need both, but I wouldn't have HS2 being built by private money. Yeah, I'd I'd round up. I'd go. I'd, I don't I'd think take...
0: you do need HS2. You it's going to need... shave fifteen minutes. That off isn't the journey what it's to Birmingham. That, that is totally what it's.
1: About. No, it isn't. That's what they said. They're stupid people because they they say oh shave fifteen minutes off the journey. The problem is we need more trains, mm. and you can't make all the trains. The, like, you can't make all of them so long that they're essentially, you know, you get on one carriage and it's in um, Birmingham and the end of the train is in London. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, so you have to have more train lines to yes. have to carry more people. But it you doesn't need, need to be a
0: high-speed one. You can just build another well, you build, train line.
1: Yeah, but the money it costs is... The reason why this one is costing so much is because there's so much money going into nothingness, mm. which is just, it's what happens whenever you have these kind of tendered projects yeah, it's that's and, the problem um, it's not the notion of it being high speed because it doesn't in we did if we're building train lines we might as well build the fast ones mm-hmm. um the problem is we need the electrification and we need hs2 and it all, could all be done significantly cheaper by taking a bunch of um transit vans round to wix's mm-hmm. and just picking up people and just having day laborers doing it and you don't need that many managers doing it because there's so much money disappearing and the bloke, one of the blokes who was in charge of the electrification project, mm. who has left now and is now on a board of HS2 projects, so you know it's all sketchy as fuck. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, as um, Holly was saying earlier, it's like in thingy. Um, yes, minister. Yeah. And the reason why trains are the way they are, it's like, why would we need a road going to Wales? No senior civil servants are from Wales. <laughs> they're all from. They're all from England.
0: It just always made me weird because it's like, who who is who is needing. I know you're saying we need more train lines and all that and okay I I, I can understand that but it was sold on the idea that people would be living and commuting Birmingham to London and it's like what the fuck are you talking about nobody is doing that nobody Um, could afford to do that with the prices of the actual train journey itself
1: no um the, the then and they've announced like the extension of HS2 where it's eventually going to go. Yeah, and, sure. Like, I can understand out.
0: that. You see, like I, I, rather than it going to Birmingham, I would say that maybe a train to Scotland, a high speed train to Scotland,
1: might be a good idea at this junction. I don't, I'm getting the train to Scotland soon, and four hours do not seem too bad to be honest. Hmm. Um, but, it's, but as it's, you say, but the, the you know, routes that are upgrade. more commonly used yeah. are, like, are the one, like the Bristol to London one, and that whole line mm. is used quite a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. It's like why HS1 that goes down to the southeast was useful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. those trains are horrifically rammed. Um, the problem is, I think in general, when they're building train networks and extending them and building new train lines, they are doing it in the hope that the areas that will be connected to London better will have a property boom like London? Yeah, yes, yeah. I without think that's true. thinking about just the think... horrible life costs when you have a property <laughs> boom like that.
0: I just think that 90 billion or however many billions are being spent, wouldn't it be better actually reinforcing the routes between, I don't know, the smaller towns in the Midlands or the smaller towns in the north?
1: Yeah, what, Getting would, a
0: train from Lincoln to Nottingham is I, a fucking nightmare. One I, of the few that I actually have experience of in. I, up there.
1: Yeah, I would say what's more useful than. Because if. I don't think it has to be either or, but the mm. way that this government and governments in general in this country work is it's either or mm. because apparently we don't have enough money, Yeah, even though we do. Yeah. Um, it would be more useful to have a better, more regular train line t- between some of the valley towns and Cardiff. Mm, mm. Because these valley towns have incredible unemployment. Yeah. And they're connected to Cardiff by buses that take forever. Yeah. And trains which are always breaking down. Yeah. And are always slow as hell. Yeah. um, And that kind of stuff is more useful because you want to, especially with the logic, the the, um, the narrative that the Tories push of like the Northern powerhouse mm. and shit like that. If you're going to have a Northern powerhouse, then build, just build a couple of train lines between like, I don't know what's on one side, Manchester, and what's on the other side. I don't know. That's up as well, isn't it? But yeah,
0: that's a bit further. Up, but yeah, yeah. you
1: know, to like all their little bits and stuff. But they're not going to do. they they're they're not going to do that. They're going yeah, to the Manchester, Powerhouse, Sheffield, Liverpool.
0: The whole idea of the Northern Powerhouse has kind of that's all gone now because that was Gideon's, uh, George Osborne's. Yeah, that was Gideon's idea. Uh, his mm. big idea, and he. Did, I don't. I don't see any. He never. I don't think he ever produced a plan. No, no, he it just. Would look no, like, he just said it enough. He just said it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Just kept on saying and then
0: hoped that the economy would recover in general,
1: yeah. Um, you know, moving to, moving Channel 4 to Manchester that'll take you know a couple of hundred jobs
0: because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'll only take a couple of hundred people up there.
1: Well, yeah, there's like um, it's, it's one of the things that always annoys me when they have um, like regional TV development and stuff like that. So they'll have someone who's like in charge of England outside of London, and Holly has had numerous meetings with these people,
0: yeah.
1: And, like, she used to have meetings quite regularly with the, um, with one of the senior people from BBC Northern Ireland. Hmm. Holly's never been to Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they looking for writers in Northern Ireland? Yeah. Because all the meetings are all in London, because all the writers are in London. That
0: media, the Media City in Salford, where they moved um, half the BBC's production um, stuff to... Siberia. Um, yeah. Um, has its own post-production house on site that's owned by the people who own Media City, because... Yeah just in order to have on-site facilities to make sure that the property prices don't fall. Mm. <laughs> to make sure that it's a viable thing. Even if the BBC, for some reason, move out or you know, get privatised and then moved out, which is probably the most likely, likely scenario. <sighs> it's it's, all... It is all geared towards property prices. Yeah,
1: there isn't a coherent... They don't have a coherent view, a coherent plan on what to do.
0: They have a coherent impulse and any plan is built off of that the yeah. coherent impulse is how do we make the most amount how do we make these certain people the most amount of money head mm. funds yeah. property developers things like that it's, I, think,
1: I think I'm think. i pretty certain what happens is you have a conservative minister mm. and they look at say say like this area around here in Yeah. and how much the house prices have gone up in the 10 years that I've been here mm. and they look at it and they're hmm why can't we do that for Acton, not yeah. Acton, um, Aston. Mm. Why can't we do that for, I don't know, Kettering? Yeah. Not thinking about who's going to live there. Well, also not
0: thinking about the dynamics of why it happened in London anyway. Well, no, this, is, ca- this is us assuming that they're also doing it in good faith and not just reacting to the vagaries of capitalism.
1: That's what they're of doing. The,
0: of the late yeah. capitalist kind of landscape. Yeah. And not looking at the fact that the reason everything is concentrated in London is because of the mountains and mm. mountains of wealth stockpiled in the city, mm. which spreads out in the forms of in the form of services and um, things like that mm. that bankers use, and then that spreads out further and further. It attracts more people who require more services, who mm. require more things to use, and that's so, there's been a huge population it's a population big, boom because of that.
1: Realistically, all the different train lines, the one that's going to be used the most out of all the ones being built is um, Crossrail. Because that goes to where they live in Berkshire.
0: Yeah. But it goes to where they live, and there's. I just don't. It's only got a limited. Like, it's only got a maximum ceiling. There's only Mm. a certain amount that you can build up, mega city London. Yeah. Until it just becomes unviable to actually live or work here. Yeah. Because, like, people who are coming in, like poor young kids who want to come here Mm. and want to get a job, they're not going to be living in Berkshire. No. Might be living in Reading. But.
2: Even yeah. so. Even so,
0: the yeah. whole point is that this will increase the property prices, thus making it more difficult to live, which means And then they'll have to build crops. Which goes further even out. further out. Yeah. 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 It's 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 a weird I suppose it's a weird attitude that got born in the eighties when they kind of realized that they didn't have controls over the economy anymore, when they opened it up to things like the stock market hmm. and, and open private property development. They either didn't realise or didn't care or were glad that it happened because of their ideology that all the government would be doing, all the state would be doing, is giving over its core functions to private uh, individuals and private concerns and then just reacting mm. to whatever that it wanted to do. But capitalism doesn't in itself have a plan. No. It has, like I say, impulses. It has greeds,
1: mm.
0: almost, to, to look at and, and, and earn money from. You know?
1: Which is why they privatised who does my bins and why they destroyed my bin. And now I don't have a bin. Oh, they destroyed as- your bin. Yeah, they destroy my bin, and I don't get a new bin for three weeks. <laughs> Why? Um, well, How did th- they destroy your bin? It got caught into the grinder, and they just crunched it up, and then stole it. <laughs> so now I don't have a bin. But they won't take black bin bags. What? <laughs> I just to start piling the rubbish up in front of Stella Creasy's office. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the train stuff, it'll, again, that'll be more stuff will come out, and I'm sure it will become even more... Of an issue when they actually start doing the compulsory purchases of a load of houses in um, Yorkshire yeah, and start tearing them down. But they've been doing compulsory purchases of um, and, tr- and pushing people out of parts of London now for ages. Ages and ages.
0: This actually moves us quite neatly onto our next topic, um, which we were going to do last week. I think we ran out of time. Um, yeah. Public space
1: yeah it's a, something
0: the, that we talk about quite a lot between ourselves yeah because it's, it's a
1: thing that I try to think I think I remember the first conversation we had about. It. it would probably have been when you were living in Nottingham, yeah, and me and you we we vape now, yeah, but we used to smoke rollies all yes, the time, yeah yeah, and access to public space mm. and somewhere comfortable to stand, yeah when you're poor. And you smoke a lot. Yeah, is a big issue, especially yeah. when you're rolling fags and you need somewhere out of the rain. Yes. So it used to be a big issue, like just trying to find somewhere out of the rain.
0: Constantly astonishes me about this city and this country in general. Yeah, that it's, it's The every amount of rain that you have in this country mm. and the amount of the lack of actual space to stand under somewhere shade, like somewhere covered yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah. Like the with, actual smoking laws um, do, like they are based on how much of the roof is connected and how yeah, much. Yeah, but this of is the, like going back when the there was. Is, but, but it's interesting that this, that's the, the that's the metric they choose. Yeah,
1: but this is this goes so back too. like we were having problems with this when, when you could smoke in pubs, hmm, hmm. and it would just be like one of the issues would be like you were living up north, and usually because you know, we were poorer then, you wouldn't be living, like, right next to the train station. No. So we'd, like, end up hanging around in town for, like, an hour or so before mm-hmm. I got the train home. And we'd have no money to go to the pub because we'd already spent all the money, all our money. So we would be, like, furiously trying to find a shady nook. Yeah. And there's something really depressing that in the thousands and thousands of years that humans have existed on this disgusting rain-soaked island, the best place to get out of the rain, which doesn't cost money, is still under a fucking tree. Yeah. Oh, look at all the advancements of capitalism. My iPhone does not work anymore because it's covered in rainwater. (laughs) Because I've had to stand under a tree.
0: Yeah, there was an article in The Guardian um, last week about... um, the rise of what's called uh, like pseudo public spaces. Yeah. So areas that are open to the sky
1: hmm.
0: um, have grass or benches or pavements, water features, whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: That actually aren't aren't public spaces at all. They're privately owned spaces with their own rules, their own security.
1: Um, kind of like how the city of London used to work. Yes. Because, you know, if you don't live in London, you might not know <clears> that <throat> London is essentially two cities. There's London, and then there's the city of London right in the middle. Oh,
0: well, that's the thing I wanted. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Which
1: has its own laws, has its own parliament, has its like its weird little lawmakers called sheriffs. It
0: has the guild, the guilds, yeah. doesn't it?
1: Um, and the police have different rules, and you're not allowed to... They, The police <clears> can take your camera <throat> off you. Yeah. And there's little bits of London that you wouldn't think you weren't... that You know, the police could just take away your camera, but around the Tower of London... Yeah, if the police want to, they can take your camera off you. Yeah,
0: um, I mean that's an old version of something that started to mm. started to spread. As, so what happened
1: is private companies saw this and were like, <clears throat> "Daddy like."
0: Yeah, as the kind of the vogue way of developing things in the neoliberal era has been large redevelopment projects that usually include something like a transport hub or a shopping centre. Or a general public square, like the dome. Uh, the dome would be a good example. What's the dome actually like? Because it wasn't designed just as a conference venue or a gig venue. Do you know what it, it was originally designed for?
1: What was it? Because the Millennium Dome was going to have that. Well, it had all that stuff of like celebrating. Yeah. What's thing. now the O2 but arena? originally, yeah, originally it was going to be um, a big eco thing. Mm. Um, there were going to be no way of parking there. Mm-hmm. That the only way you could get there would be by public transport. Christ! They changed yeah. that pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then it became, after a long time of trying to work out what to do with a giant tent on the far reaches of <laughs> London. is they One turned... of the most
0: inaccessible areas of London until it actually got the public transport links that came with it. Well, I
1: think it used to be a tip.
0: It, did. Well, Yeah, it did.
1: Um, yeah. And it's like by... And it used to be Docklands
0: areas yeah, as well. Yeah, it's
1: by Blackwell Tunnel. Yeah. Um, but they added... Then they made it so you. Could... they've got like... I think they've got two venues in there. I think yeah, they've got, they've think got so. a little O2 and, and big it looks O2. Like a big
0: O2. It looks like and a big like, know, shopping centre. Yeah,
1: there's a like, load of restaurants in there. But one of the things that I remember when, because the last time we went there was to go watch wrestling. Yes, yeah. yeah. And we went to watch um, ICW in a bowling alley. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah. But as you go round, and it's all like done in like a weird spiral, as you go round, all the restaurants got shittier and shittier. Yeah. Until by the place where we were going to watch the wrestling, there was a harvester. <laughs> yeah. And at the beginning it's all like really fancy chain restaurants. Like the kind of chain restaurant where um a dickhead accountant would wear a tie. Yeah, it's like before steak, he goes to see steak
0: and sushi kind of mimicking what they thought. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I just love the idea of Oh, well, I'm gonna have two ritzy meals. Steak of a sushi topic.
0: <laughs> well no, it's 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 a weird kind of like echo of what people expected from like, depictions of American Psycho and Wall yes. Street and yeah. things like that. So it's all, like, high-class champagne bars yeah. and uh, sushi restaurants that actually aren't that high-class because they're fucking everywhere now. Though yeah. well, They're everywhere down here, certainly, yeah. and they've definitely spread.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you can get... sushi isn't high-class you can get it in a meal deal in Tesco. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but so, at the but top. They, but they, so that's what... That, and I think the whole area outside of the dome because there's like bars out there as well. Yeah. And I think
0: that's probably privately owned. Um I believe it is, yeah.
1: Um and it won't be what you were saying
0: about the City of London and what we're trying to say is that it's it's mimicked in a lot of these different areas like around King's Cross and around the O2 Arena. Yeah. Where they don't have their own police as such, they do have their own security, mm. but the security also they have uh different different laws, different private regulations governing the site.
1: Which they don't tell anyone. That they
0: don't have to reveal. The Guardian journalists who did this yeah, went I think around like
1: out of like the twenty odd different places, only two of them told him the rules. Told them
0: what the rules were. Yeah. Which means that Ultimately, there are no rules. There's a specific set of things that they will be able to do to you on that site. Yeah. And it's like... Move homeless. I suppose what we always talk... Move the homeless along. Yeah, move the homeless along and, yeah, no loitering. As long as you're continually in movement, shopping or going to work...
1: Yeah, that's the thing that always used to depress us.
0: It just brings in a lot of kind of very, very negative feelings in me because I've definitely noticed that mentality creep not just off of those kind of big white elephant... Early two thousands projects, mm. late nineties, early two thousands projects, like, but they've started tre- creeping into like streets. Mm. And whenever you see like there's a, a street where something's being redeveloped, and you see the boards for the uh, the kind of building works extend out onto the street, yeah. and you're like, you're never, we're never getting that space back. No, that's gone now. That's gone now. They yeah. will put, at the very least, put tables out there for a restaurant or something.
1: Yeah, it's like um, they'll like everyone in London, they they everyone was very much focus on the garden bridge and that was a big thing. That was gonna yeah. be a privately owned space yeah. where you were um I think you weren't they were gonna close it after nine? Mm. or they might have been after seven so you wouldn't be able to go on it and it was gonna be like that because they were gonna have parties on there. Mm. Um but so people focus on that but then they also they don't really notice when like when they did the pedestrianisation of the centre of Wolfensoe village mm. and they've made the road much smaller and the paths the pathways are much bigger. Yeah. But there's still not that much... There's actually less room on the paths because all the shops yeah. all cover up all of...
0: Yeah, they yeah. all extended outwards. Yeah. And it's just a kind of, you know, it's trying to communicate that feeling that you've... that Maybe you've had, listeners. Maybe you've had it before where it does kind of feel when you're out in public that things are starting to kind of close in on you. Yeah. That your, your ability to be in a public space is being restricted mm. and cut down and and think because I mean basically it is.
1: that mm. so, last time I went to Nottingham to see our friend yes. Mike. Um Hey Mike. I, <laughs> I I think I had to wait for I think I got there a bit earlier and I had to wait about an hour for him to finish work. Yeah. I literally couldn't find anywhere to sit yeah around the centre of Nottingham that wasn't a bar. Mm. And yeah, I could have sat there and got drinking, but I knew I would have been uh, me and Mike were about to get really pissed, so I didn't want to get a head start on it. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's the thing. Why don't I? Why can't I have anywhere to sit down? Hmm. And then that extends further to the other stuff that they do with um, with public benches, if they are even there. Yeah, is all the armrests. Or the oddly shaped, so yeah. you can't lie down comfortably on Yeah,
0: I've been reading about that defensive architecture, it's, it's called. Disgusting. So at it's very, most extreme, it's kind of spikes outside of buildings, oh. so homeless people can't lie down there and people can't congregate there. Yeah, But it happens in more subtle ways as well. You um, take away kind of shaded benches, so people mm. can't sit in there in the rain. You make them not comfortable because mm. people are only going to be sitting for a little bit, and then they're to des- catch their breath. They are before designed going on to, the next shop. to go on to, to keep shopping, mm. and I mean it's. Um, I had a similar experience when I was going through um, Stansted mm. um, last weekend, and Stansted is literally, you go through the uh, area, uh, go through like um, customs. You go through the security checks and everything, and it's one long. Winding road
1: yeah.
0: through a department store with a whole stream of people who are trying to just get to the area where they can find their gate, yeah. and it just twirls round inside this massive building. Mm. You're twirling around and you end up pretty much back where yeah, you started. Spiral. But the whole idea is to just keep you going along Constinate. the treadmill. It's, I mean, I, it's a cliche to say that architecture kind of shapes your psychological response to things and shapes your kind that of how does. you feel and how you how you exist. But, you know, it does. Well, it does. Um, it does.
1: A good example of that would be um, Westfield. Yeah. And shopping centres, the construction of them has become more advanced. Mm. And Westfield is one of the best examples of this, and like the one in Stratford. Mm. Um, when you're walking around and you see um, a, source, a light source, mm. your eyes are automatically, even if you're not really paying attention to it, are like drawn to it. Mm. And it, you're what they have in... Um, Westfield is instead of one solid glass ceiling, mm. they have loads and loads of small glass triangular tiles. Yes, yeah, I know. Which what and doing. each one acts like a light source, and there's all the colours everywhere to keep your mind constantly in exploration mode, hunting yeah. mode, like yeah. when we were like when we were anim, like when we were much less advanced. Yeah, <laughs> um, and to make so you're constantly agitated, mm. so you're more likely to notice an offer. Yeah. And so many places are doing this stuff to you. Like at the lowest level, it's when you go into the shop and they pump in the smell of, cooked, of baked bread. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Because it makes you hungry. And it's this other stuff. But I'm sure lots of... It can't just be me. Because it just can't be. These places make me tired.
0: Oh, yeah, no. Uh, they make um, me feel ill. Part of the thing that they pump through it, it makes my eyes really, really dry. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I don't know if that's an intentional thing. Well, that's because like, the air conditioning thing, is too the air conditioning's too high yeah. or whatever. And it's to make you thirsty. Yeah, it's um. You remember theme, the game theme park where you could jack up the salt in the chips that yeah. then made you um, buy a coke. Yeah, and then you would jack up the sugar in the coke yeah. so that everyone would get really hyper and run around and use the rides yeah. more. It's like very very
1: advanced Wait, real life versions of that. Why do you think they sell salty popcorn in cinemas? Yeah. It's it's that kind of stuff. And it's just to the nth degree with everything. And it's when it happens like Westfield, do whatever the fuck you want in there. If you're going into Westfield, you know exactly what you're getting yourself in for. Yeah. But when it's when it happens to a road that you've that you've walked down every day for years and years of your life, you have yeah. to walk down it to get to work. And then it changes to make you more agitated. I mean if you have to cross... over, so it's a
0: public square. Yeah. Are, a lot of these places have been yeah. public squares outside of Big railway stations and other kind of mm. attractions where you would have to go through. Yeah,
1: it's like that big area, that big open space in front of King's Cross. Yeah, is like that. Is one of these privately owned spaces, and you wouldn't know it. And that's the thing with these things: you don't, you wouldn't know it to walk onto them. No, you specifically don't know it, and in fact, you couldn't even if you
0: knew who to ask. Yeah. you couldn't ask anybody. Mm. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's very dangerous, and yet yeah, obviously, it's part of the kind of enclosure, It's, it's a continuation of an enclosure of the Commons. Yeah. It It's,
1: yeah. It's one of the other things that they, I've noticed they do is, um, with walls, instead of them going straight down to the ground, and then you have, like, a right angle. Yes. Which sometimes can give you a shady spot. Yeah. Um, if they don't have the spikes, because people get very annoyed with the spikes for mm. obvious reasons, is um, they have the slanted wall, mm. so you can't even lean against it. It's, like, absolutely nothing useful at all. It was like, remember when... Um, they revitalised, they redid Leicester Square mm. and I think we went to see, we went to see Pain and Gain mm-hmm. after after you'd finished work and we got kicked out of Leicester Square, out of the actual square bit. Oh, the
0: garden, the fenced off uh, yeah,
1: park? Because it was like six o'clock and now it's time to shut it. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. I don't understand why and all the and the way they took away the benches around the outside of Leicester Square yeah. and now it's wavy concrete that's yeah. super ugly uncomfort- oh, I hate it. Yeah.
0: But the whole idea is that like you said with um, Westfield it's to keep you anxious, yeah. it's to keep you kind of constantly moving, constantly. It's it's the perfect metaphor for neoliberal capitalism mm. designed to make you keep keep moving like a shark, you have to keep moving otherwise you'll die, you have to keep moving on from job to job, you have to yeah. keep moving house. That's the idea behind it because every one of those moves generates money and profit mm. for the people you're buying the services of because in order to exist in one of these spaces you have to be consuming a service mm. you have to be paying mm. it's a very very shady thing like it's there's a, obviously there's been a, a, a long-standing kind of um right to the city movement among mm. people on the left and people in the center sometimes as well Less, less so. But definitely on the left, there's been a kind of public space... A defensive public space mm. um, movement going on for quite a while. Well, it's
1: like the constant battles to um, get rid of the skatey area around the South Bank. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, um, But I think it's it's obviously really, really important that we do take... Because it's, it's, when you sum it all up and when you gather all of your experiences together... Again, listener, mm. I'm sure you've had a similar kind of experience of that feeling uncomfortable... It's kind of moved from, as we were saying at the beginning, your thing at the beginning about a shady shady place to go and roll a cigarette. Mm. Now you're looking at kind of open, large open public spaces where you're not even sure if you're allowed to smoke. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. And again, reproduces that anxiety within you, that kind of thing of like, I don't know whether I'm following the rules or not.
1: Mm. And also, it was done without any of our permission. Oh, yeah, no. Um, I remember when, because it was... For most of our young adult lives, they were doing the construction work around King's Cross and Pancras. Yeah, God, that was um, um, has been
0: going on for years. It was going on for years.
1: I had no idea that when it was finished, that open space at the front was not ours. Essentially, mm. not like you know, I could do anything it's I not wanted public have... land. Yeah, not at that, all. That yeah. never occurred to me.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's in some ways kind of obviously the 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 enclosure of the commons and the loss of common land has been. Oh. That's been a kind of common narrative for the last 400 years. Yeah. Um, it's been slowly kind of going away. And I think, like a lot of things, I think it's one of those, it's one of those issues where f- just fighting defensively is necessary and good, mm. but also points towards something where it's necessary to know that the land you're on isn't just owned by someone and know what the rules are, but the fact that it's owned by no one. Mm. It's not even that it's owned by everyone. The fact that it's yeah. owned by no one... Yeah actually is a is it set in itself a psychological boost that lefties and communists could definitely mm. could definitely need to get people to think differently about that thing. I mean, I know we're at the high watermark now of um late stage capitalism, neoliberal capitalism, whatever you want to call this epoch. Okay. And it's quite important that we fight back against these things because it points the way to the way we actually want to see everything. Yeah, we, It's not that we want to necessarily want to see it something owned by everybody. Hmm. As I repeat myself, it's not that we want to see everything owned by everybody, but it's that we want to see things that are owned by nobody. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. I'll be able with to some, be used by everybody. A good
1: example would be when, like for all my problems with the Occupy movement, when yeah. it, when they were looking for where to camp out in London, mm. they weren't allowed to camp out in the City of London. Mm. And so they were offered that space by the church. There was a lot of places where they weren't allowed to move,
0: but I think the City of London was the place where they knew that if they went there, the City of London would have no compunction about going in and being yeah. the shit out of them.
1: But then they were only allowed to protest. They were only allowed to have their little camp based on the goodwill of the church until that ran out. Yeah. And there are a certain way, there are certain directions of protest that the protest is controlled completely Mm. your democratic right to protest is controlled completely by a shady cabal of billionaires who own a certain bit of land yeah and it yeah
0: yeah like there's no the 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 spaces for that kind of the ability to be sociable the ability to exist in a place without having to do or be anything Hmm. is super important and again we link i link that to kind of people's mental health and the kind of rising anxiety disorders and and things like that these things are not unrelated
1: yeah. there's some um, most people i know in london get pretty anxious in central london
0: yeah i mean i i've been like uh working in central london now for specifically 4 years and i've been coming up here for ages and mm. it feels worse than it's ever done before mm. Not like, just the We're general always looking business, for but...
1: different bits to drink in that would make yeah. that make us feel more comfortable. Yeah. Um yeah.
0: And the only place you can go is it's I think there's why there's a slight um fetishism for places that are kind of run down and things like that. Because they're one of the few places left where capitalism hasn't focused on and decided that if you're going to be in that locality, you're gonna to have to be something specific. You're going to have to be there for a reason. Yeah. As opposed to just being there as a citizen, as a person, mm. you know? All right, wrapping us up this week, we have uh, the Make Me Forget My Troubles segment. Mm. And I've got a great article from The New Statesman. Always the best paper. Always. It's a good paper. Um, Adrian, by Ad- It's uh, called, Why Ross Poldark is Blue Labour?
1: Okay, I haven't watched any Poldark, but what I do know about Poldark is it's a show about a man who takes off his shirt and works in a field and he's really sexy. There was a big 70s show, Poldark, wasn't
0: there? My mum liked it. Was there? Yeah, it was kind of like um, a bit like upstairs, downstairs, but more rural, Cornwall, landowner, 17th century, that kind of thing. Um, So this is by Adrian Pabst, who's a reader in politics at the University of Kent. Another University of Kent person.
1: Um, Oh yeah, because was the University of Kent person who ate his book. Yeah, (laughs) he was the one who
0: ate his book. So this is one of his colleagues.
1: Um, (laughs) One of his colleagues who spends a lot of his time watching (laughs) programmes aimed entirely at women who are unfulfilled in their marriages, who watch Sunday Night (laughs) TV on BBC. Um, He starts...
0: Political turmoil in, economic insecurity, a major rupture with the continent, popular unrest and a growing backlash against the elites. British politics in 2017 increasingly resembles the plot of Poldark, the BBC drama set in 18th century Cornwall. Jeremy Corbyn doesn't take his shirt off.
1: I've seen pictures pictures of Poldark with his shirt off holding a scythe. That's what I know about mm -hmm. Poldark. Uh,
0: The thing you should know about Poldark is it's like the kind of uh, story of a whole family. It's the Poldark family. Ross is like the original one they start with, and he's the hot one. They're also landowners. Mm-hmm. This is very important to remember. The Poldarks are mine and <laughs> landowners.
1: They're English landowners in Cornwall.
0: I do not know their, how Cornish they are, but I think I assume it's important. Well, I don't know. Against the odds, Ross Poldark is turning around the fortunes of his late father's failing estate. He also lands blows on his bitter enemy, George Warleggan, whose arrogant attempt to smear Poldark backfires. While Poldark's courage to take on the establishment earns him popular support, Warleggan's scheming and cold calculation ultimately dent his bid to rule unopposed. This is rather reminiscent of the unexpectedly strong showing of Jeremy Corbyn in the <laughs> Labour Party in the election that Theresa May
1: did not have to call. Jeremy Corbyn is my favourite tin mine owner.
0: <laughs> At first, Poldark seems to be the Cornish Corbin, a revolutionary redcoat who defies the ruling class and fights for the many. He is the ruling class in that show. Yeah. Right? Just to make that clear, he's a mine mine owner. Um, In the first and second seasons of the TV adaptation of Winston Graham's novel, Poldark spends much of his time trying to keep open the failing copper mines he has inherited from his father. His concern is to save the jobs and livelihoods of the workers who would otherwise face starvation face starvation, or the debtor's prison.
1: Much better for them to what work in a mine.
0: <laughs> what is there not to like about somebody who proclaims themselves to be labour and yet sides with the mine owner? <laughs> <laughs> He's just like Corbyn. Corbyn owns so many
1: mines. He does. He's got all those mines.
0: <laughs> in a recent episode, Poldark even gives the miners, who have been made redundant by Warleggan, part of his land to grow food on. Corbyn's campaign against Tory cuts, job insecurity, the reliance on food banks and payday loans is of a piece with this fight against poverty. Oh my God! Oh my now God. I get again. Bear in mind, the author of this is uh, uh, in. He names himself as Labour. Mm. He calls himself Labour, right? Um. But in reality, Poldark is more blue than red. A conservative sense of duty, loyalty, and love of ancestral land runs through his veins, more than a sense of individual rights and cosmopolitan altruism. Uh... Yeah, you know where this is going. Uh... (laughs) An army captain who fought in the war against American independence and Uh... later (laughs) later led an expedition to free his friend, Dwight Ennis, from the clutches of the French revolutionaries... He is a military man whose first loyalty is to his country and fellow soldiers. What can I think of who's kind of on the same side as Corbyn, but is also a military man? <laughs>
1: Sexy dad If only Jarvis. there were one...
0: All the dads <laughs> in, in politics from... are the worst. <laughs> However, far from being a warmonger, Poldark knows about the horrors of mass conflict. War takes a man places no one can ever follow. So yeah, it's important to be a soldier but never to actually kill anyone. Or if you have killed someone, be feel really, them. really bad about it.
1: Yeah, but also, you're allowed to feel bad about it, but you're not allowed to have mental issues brought on by by the horrible mechanised slaughter that you're a part of. <laughs> because then you'll be just be, you know, ostracised and made homeless.
0: <laughs> Ross Poldark comes from an old family to which he is fiercely loyal. Of course he's fiercely loyal to them. His entire... <laughs> he is he is a fucking landowner. His entire claim to power, his entire socialised existence comes from inheritance. <laughs> I'm not misunderstanding 18th century nobility here. No, right? no. Um, He's fiercely loyal, especially to his aunt Agatha, who is his last living link to his deceased father and uncle. For him, the family name Poldark embodies a deep attachment to people, place and purpose.
1: Oh. This writer, he's so the kind of person that if he was around during the... um. The Russian Revolution. He would have been part of that that part of that section of society that were calling for slight reforms. <laughs> you
0: he know, would, the ones where we saw he that um, exhibit re- about, um, yeah, about the exhibit about it yeah the Russian Revolution at yeah. the Royal. At the, and
1: there was uh, like the a whole section was like, oh, but you know, the Romanovs were starting to have slight reforms. They should have been given a chance. It's like, no, you're on the fucking heap with the rest of the courses. No,
0: given this next paragraph. Okay. This next little bit. The family name Poldock embodies a deep attachment to people, place, and purpose, upholding traditions of mutual obligation among relatives, neighbours, and the local community around hard work and decency. In the Russian Revolution, he wouldn't have been the person talking about slight reforms. He would have been people painting the reds as um, mm. horrific, devilish monsters mm. and the white forces as, like, um, Christian crusaders on white charges. Yeah. You know that.
1: Yeah, he would have had a big poster of... Um... Disco, Satan, Di- Di- Disco Satanic Jutrowski. Yeah, Satanic Disco Jutrotsky <laughs> The Poldocks, Graham writes Had always
0: been on good terms with their tenants Distinctions of class were not absent Was n- Distinction of class was
1: not absent it He's was so- a good landowner And you know what the important thing is there? Yes, I'm sure he is a really good landowner ah. He's also fictional <laughs> <laughs> Distinction of class was not
0: absent It was understood so clearly that nobody needed to emphasise it oh But polite convention was not allowed to stand in the way of common sense
1: we well, didn't need to mention class because you knew the people who were the ones working in the mines because they were missing limbs.
0: <laughs> Family, hard work, and community are central to a story of pride and dignity once familiar to the Labour movement and crucial oh. to its historic identity of representing the people across divisions of class, colour, or creed. The Labour Party, in its most socialist, was not designed
1: to represent Tories. No. I think that's a fairly, <laughs> fairly simple breakdown. Also, when they, whenever they talk about like really old Labour, I always get really like skeeved out because, it's like, well, like when Keir Hardie protested against immigrants, yeah, and complained about migrants a lot, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but today, the left often collapses sentiments of attachment into a soulless socialism, an economic, economistic notion of income redistribution and ideological class warfare against the rich, led by a centralised state. On the contrary, Poldark defends poachers, helps fugitives, and takes on the corrupt without demonising the wealthy.
1: Because he is one! See, it's like what we need is a benevolent dictator.
0: His nemesis, Warleggan, is not old aristocracy, but new money. Oh, God. A leading member of a class
1: of industrialists oh, and
0: bankers whose greed and ambition violate a traditional sense of honour and virtue.
1: That's the problem with this country. It's not aristocrats. Fascist enough! It's, it's not aristocrats. It's That's not the problem. It's disgusting spivs in their cheap suits. These cosmopolitan capitalists with their...
0: Foreign notions of caring about other people who you don't recognise or don't share a second name with. Isn't there? A, isn't there a word for? Um, oh, I've done this so often; it's lost all like kind of comedy value. But isn't there a word for um, the kind of socialism where you prize um, kind of local community and civic virtue in the name <laughs> of a kind of holy ethnic state? There's a word for that. I'm sure there is. There, there must be a word. Let me it's consult like, the It's like story. a phrase. It's like. Yeah, it's like one people, one One land. people, one country, one, one leader. Yeah, yeah. one Poldark. On. <laughs> um, the w- issue is not Warleggan's wealth, but rather the Araviste attitude of someone who denies his humble origins and seeks social recognition at any cost. Drawing parallels between 18th century Cornwall and Britain today is fraught with the dangers of anachronism. Thanks. So, yeah. everything I've written so far <laughs> is so distant, it cannot possibly <laughs> be compared. But then, as now, we were all at sea. What does that mean? Nonetheless, we live on dry land and are social creatures who are embedded and embedded and embodied. Poldark reminds us of our attachment to people, place, and common purpose. You could call this a kind of
1: conservative socialism, or perhaps blue labour. Oh, God. Um... Nice statistic that just came out that Cornwall is the second poorest part of Europe. Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are a number of things in that. I. He's drawing parallels between 18th century landowners hmm. and the saying that the professional politicians of the Labour Party, because that's who he's talking about, yeah. those of them who are professional politicians, Corbyn is a professional politician, but he's not part mm. of this particular milieu, mm. ex-lawyers, ex-NGO you know, NGO workers, people like that, yeah. and saying that essentially they should be benevolent landowners. Yeah. Now, that's accurate, but also is a terrible idea for a direction yeah. to take the Labour Party in. Yeah, the, because the Labour
1: Party shouldn't be made up entirely of people who own massive tracts of land. That seems to be the actual antithesis of what I'd want a socialist party to be. And as he said, I wonder why the left failed.
0: Is it because, you know, they went up against mine owners backed by the government and lost? (laughs) Yeah. Is one of the reasons why the Labour Party had it so hard? And the Labour movement had it so hard? I just
1: love the idea of him talking... Because, like, Blue Labour is um, idiotic parts of the Labour right thinking that... They need to appeal to the inherent racism of the white working class. Yes, yeah. and I just love that the way he's going to do this is by saying that look, we're just like mine owners. <laughs> we could be just like mine owners, yeah. you know, from all your favourite memories from, from the, you've got from your family, you know, like Orgreave. Because the
0: best thing is, he's a politics professor. He's not talking to the working class. No, he's he's not, not talking to the mine. Well, no, working the new statesman. Even if, it, even, if it was in the, even if it wasn't in the New Statesman, like that whole article is tilted towards professional politicians and professional people of a particular class. Mm. Of course he's going to describe them, because they are all mine owners. Yeah. They are mostly that class. Mm. It's fucking ridiculous. This was published yesterday. <sighs> yesterday, after everything that's happened in the last four months. Yeah. <laughs> and they are still hammering on that fucking blood and honour shit. It's fa- it is fascism, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Well, no, you should, I do know that. Listeners should be under no no illusions. Blue Labour is so close to fascism; it's fucking yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Because what happens to the outsiders? What happens to those who aren't in our advanced capitalist economy, tied to a particular place mm. or a particular? What about people with no family? What about parents with no children? Mm. What's their role? It isn't there. Mm.
1: Mm. It's
0: fucking disgusting. Mm. I cannot believe the shit is still. They're still hammering on about it. Anyway.
1: Well, at least they're not talking about politics as if it's Game of Friends anymore. Well, they're, <laughs> they're doing that in different they are, places.
0: They are, they're just trying to do different shows. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Paul well, Dark is my Khaleesi. Well.
0: <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah. So that's us for this week, I think. Um, so, as usual, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. Well uh, you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing, yep. and you can follow me at BM Bergamo. Leave us a review, let us know what you think. And, yeah, that'll be us for this week. Cheers.
2: Bye. I've got the alcohol